Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Fandor Video Podcast. I'm Hooman. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Kelly. Thank you so much, Hoom. And it's great to see you as always. Of and course. of course, we great and it feels so good. <laughs> welcome, Brand. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, all right. So this uh interview is brought to us by the Sonoma International Film Festival because they're presenting their summer fest <laughs> August 4th to 6th. Uh, they're gonna have outdoor screenings at wineries, indoor screenings. And uh, they're going to have food trucks. There's going to be a four-course dinner paired at the Jackson Family Wine Estates. And the culinary event um, is going to feature a documentary by a woman named Rebecca Halpern. Love, Charlie. The Rise and Fall of Charlie Trotter. Uh, It's going to be Saturday, August 6th. And you can get all the tickets from SonomaFilmFest.org. Here we are with Rebecca. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. It's so good to be here, you guys. Um, normally, I ask a director, you know, tell us what your film's about, but I don't want to start with that today. I want to start with your background because you're a seasoned veteran. Tell us how you paid your dues to get to this point. Uh, well, I got my start like many in Hollywood in the William Morris mailroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I delivered packages for them for a while and worked my way up to becoming uh tv talent coordinator role which is like a step below agent and um tucked in there after that was a spell with michael ovitz which is a whole other story for another time uh i'm not sure if the nda they made me sign when i went to work for him is still in effect so i don't think i can share much (laughs) about that um but then i decided that rather than uh, be an agent i wanted to have an agent there was something about the role that didn't feel creative enough for me, um, it didn't exercise enough of my curiosity in the world that, uh, you know, it's a great job and I think it's an important one in the industry, but it wasn't for me. So I went back to graduate school and got my um, master's degree in broadcast journalism and magazine publishing. And from there I went into local news and then one thing led to another. And this is an interesting story. I was working in Phoenix for the CNN affiliate in Phoenix. And my dad was sick in Chicago and I wanted to move back. So I was offered two jobs. One was as the field producer slash sometimes correspondent for CNN's Kabul, Afghanistan um, Bureau. Not close to Chicago. (laughs) No. And this was in 2008. Okay. So this was at a time that was pretty heightened over there. 
And then the other job I was offered was an episode of a series, a documentary series for Animal Planet called Animal Witness. And it was about animals that witness crimes and help police solve the cases. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. And my, my episode that they were offering me was about a cockatoo that witnessed its owner's murder and helped police solve the crime. Wow. And I thought to myself, okay, I don't want to give my dad, my poor sick dad, anything else to worry about. So I took the bird show and um, it was a half hour episode. I'd never done anything that long before. And um, we shot like heavy reenactments for that. And I remember driving up to the set and there were trucks, you know, grip trucks and all kinds of stuff. Um uh, parked on the street. And I said to my location scout, I said, you know, wow, they must be shooting a real movie here. And she goes, no, this is that's a- for you. I'm <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> so I faked it till I made it uh, and have been faking it ever since and making it, I guess. Ever Hold on. Since. Listen, we can't even talk about Charlie Trotter without talking about the cockatoo. So what happened in the episode? Like, okay. called, you know, Polly watch a murder or. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was actually called life animal witness, life, limb and feather. And um, uh, the bird witnessed its owners being stabbed. It flew to his defense and pecked the killer's head while he was stabbing the, the guy. So was the killer DNA? killer DNA. And yeah. The, so the killer wiped his head and wiped the wall on his way out. And that's how they got the DNA. But he also slashed the bird, killed the bird, wow. chopped off the bird's leg. It was very heroic and sad oh. the way it went down. But that is, you know, that's the kind of bird I want to have one Seriously. day. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, this might seem silly, but you win an Emmy or anything for this? this oh, sounds... God, no. And when okay. I look back on it now, I'm just mortified. That, you know, I mean, <laughs> listen, it was a great learning experience. It's an incredible and it story. Was, it was 15 years ago. So, you know, back then, true crime documentaries were about as frothy as they come. And, you know, these days, I'm pleased to say that you know, my, my level of sophistication has grown since then. So, um, luckily for me, but that was a great experience. It really That's was a great story. I'm so, I almost feel like we should just keep talking about the bird, but I, I guess we got <laughs> yeah, to talk about the movie. the movie. So tell us about your film, love Charlie, the rise and fall of Charlie Trotter. Um, like what's it about and, and like, how long did it take? from the time you started researching it to complete shooting. Give us the whole story there. Yeah, so, um, you know, every city has its claim to fame, right? You know, in New York, it's Broadway and Wall Street. Um, In LA, it's Hollywood. And in Chicago, it's food for the most part. And Charlie Trotter was the chef who put Chicago on the map for food. Um, His groundbreaking style uh, of of cuisine and all the different things he innovated really changed the face of fine dining in America. He was an entirely self-taught chef. And when he opened his restaurant in 1987, he really hadn't even been like the top dog anywhere before he did it. So he was truly a wunderkind. He ran his restaurant for 25 years. Every night he served two 10 course tasting menus and he never served the same dish twice. Wow. So every night it was 20 different courses every night. And in the film, one of the chefs says, you know, he'd like have to like walk into the fridge and be like, I've got a 
you know, potato, some trout, a red pepper, go. And he'd have to make like seven courses out of Iron that. Chef every night. <laughs> every night, exactly. Iron Chef every night. And he opened his restaurant in 1987, closed it in 2012. Um, and, and his entire life's work was geared towards winning three Michelin stars, which for those who don't know is sort of like the Oscars of the food world. And he, throughout his career, had people working for him who loved him, and he had people working for him who didn't love him. <laughs> and one of those people um, who I think now respects him uh, is a chef named Grant Ackett, who owns Alinea in Chicago, which is also a very well-known restaurant. Anyway, he opened Alinea in year 20 three of Charlie Trotters. He won three stars. Charlie only won two. And the same thing happened the next year. And Charlie was sick by then. He, um, I don't, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but he had an inoperable brain aneurysm and um, it was changing his behavior. The quality of the work wasn't as good as it once was. And in year 25, he decided to close and he died a year later. Wow. Uh, what was the most difficult thing about making this movie? Was there one thing in particular? Well, we started production on day one of the COVID lockdown. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so there you have it. Um, and so we really had to innovate and come up with not only new ways of shooting our interviews, but we also had to come up with, um, we had to really rejigger some of the production plans for the show. Um there or for the film, there is a there. There's a farm in Ohio that Charlie was really cl uh, close with the farmer there, Farmer Lee Jones, and it's called the Chef's Garden. And we had this grand plan to have everyone who worked for Charlie kind of gather for this big farm-to-table dinner because one of the things that Charlie uh, revolutionized in America was um, vegetarianism and that kind of farm-to-table dining and. Uh, we had to scrap that because obviously you can't get 40 people together or 50 people together. The supply chains for food were kind of dicey back then. And, you know, there was just a lot going on. So luckily, we had about a thousand postcards that Charlie had written to his friends and family. And we were able to animate those and use those as kind of the basis of the storytelling. Um, so that's how we managed to survive. Uh that almost sounds like a better direction. Like the, it seems like the pandemic gave you a wiser idea than what you guys probably originally thought of because you had to be a lot more creative. Um, I, I want to ask you something. I want, I want you to talk about Charlie's level of commitment. And then I want you to talk about Charlie's identity. Yeah. So a lot of people used to think Charlie was a perfectionist and I don't think that's right. I think Charlie would have said that he was a perfectionism is boring. Um, Charlie was an excellencist. And when you think about the difference between the two, perfectionism is about the outcome. Excellence is about the process. And um, Charlie, you know, really poured his heart and soul into everything he did a million percent. Some people call that love right? Love Charlie. And some people call that dedication, obsession, call it what you will. But it's at the end of the day, that kind of care is something that um, he was really keyed into. And he took it to an almost nth degree. And in the process of becoming so sort of wrapped up in this pursuit of excellence, he lost a sense of himself. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when your identity becomes so tied up in your work, you know, there's lots of casualties around you. Family relationships get strained, friendships get strained. You start to act in ways that maybe the general public won't understand. And so you become mis- misunderstood, mischaracterized. Um, and at the end of the day, when Charlie got sick and closed his restaurant, it was as if he had lost himself by the end. And that's why a year later, almost like cinematically, he died because it was like he couldn't get back to his old former self. Mm. Um, and we illustrate that arc. Um, we illustrate that arc very clearly in the film. So it's wow. pretty compelling, you know, and going back to the whole pandemic thing, I'll tell you the nostalgia factor for the 80s and 90s is really strong with our movie. The postcards, mixtapes, collages, all the sort of tangible archival materials that we have really take us back to a time when it took a lot of effort to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I think about what Charlie, sorry, no I didn't problem. mean to cut no, you off. I'll, but when, I'll, I'll go ahead, please. Well, <laughs> I was just going to say, when you think about what Charlie did every day, that was a kind of Karen connection that I don't think a lot of people appreciate nowadays. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, I, I really like that you just talked about nostalgia because uh, there have been so many articles written about the new Top Gun. 
uh-huh. Maverick. Mm-hmm. And so often they're saying it's taking us back to the eight. It's taking us back to a time that was less stressful where we weren't so divided. So I think this whole idea of taking people back to the, I think it's going to be really should be very, very appealing. compelling. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about, since we brought up Top Gun, um, I've heard, you know, I, I stalked you before we did this interview. I, mm. I listened to what you said. I'm, I'm just going to mention a film and I just love to, to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, Jiro dreams of sushi. what do you think of that movie? I mean, it's a meditation on, it's just a meditation in general, right? And it's also a meditation on excellence. And I think that what, um, uh, it's David Gelb, right? Who is the filmmaker on Jiro? Yeah. Um, if I'm misspeaking, forgive me. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think he introduced a whole new genre of food media, food content that you now see in Chef's Table, which he's a part of actually. And you see it in the way a lot of food documentaries are shot these days. And it's really beautiful, you know, um, in terms of the concept of Jiro, Dreams of Sushi, Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours to perfect a thing. And when you think about how much time he spent making the rice, slicing the salmon, whatever it is that he does, you know, that highly specialized skill set that is so valued over there. It's really interesting. I mean, I woke up at 5.30 every morning during the lockdown and worked until 10.30 at night. And thank God for that because it was my lifeline during the pandemic. I mean, you know, I didn't feel, I was was in the flow, in the zone. And I think that that's what Jiro, to me, that's what it spoke to. Well, I have a huge surprise for you, uh, Rebecca. We have the producer of Jiro Dreams of Sushi on with us now. Welcome, Chris Kelly. I, yeah, I, 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 I produced the movie you know, with Kevin Yamashina and, uh, and 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 a couple other folks. And you know, David's brilliance shown through, and it's so great to hear you describe it exactly the way that I think he would. I think it was also a meditation on family too, in an interesting way. Um, but uh, but the, but the, the thought of it, and it, it's had an incredible influence. I mean, I, I work at a Silicon Valley um, in venture and investing, and the, it it became a, a huge thing in the venture community too. Um, as a meditation on excellence and excellence in entrepreneurialism too. How was her review of your movie? Look, it was, was it she was, right she, on? She, Does she know what she's talking like, about? This, this, this means that David did a brilliant job and that we didn't screw it up for him. So, well, and you know, it's funny because like when people comment on my film, you know, if they pick up on the themes that I was going for in it, then I feel like I've done my job. And if it makes them look at their own lives a little differently, like I used to play competitive golf. I had my tour card for a spell you know, I understand what it means to get in the zone and, you know, to practice something until it's perfect. And Charlie was not a perfect person. You know, he had a lot of people in his life who didn't like his approach to management. Um, one of one of his managerial ideas was this notion that he shouldn't necessarily be paying you to practice your skill set. Um, that if you can't get your job done in a certain period of time and you have to come in earlier in order to perfect that skill, so be it. And to be honest, I think that's a generational thing, um, but it's one that I relate to myself because if you want to get better for you, you're going to do whatever it takes, whether you're getting paid to do it or not. And um, so, yeah, no, that's great. I, I just thought that would be funny. You know, Chris <laughs> is right here and you love that movie. I heard you reference it in other interviews. I'm like, oh, let's talk. Chris, about you'll it. have to tell me how you got involved with that. I, one day. I will. I will. 
you want to tell it right now? I mean, look, <laughs> I, it, it was Ke Kevin and I uh, met through Common Friends, and he was, uh, you know, David was a, had been a, a student at USC film school and was just sort of getting, you know, his his, his kind of sea legs in Hollywood. Uh, Kevin and I had met at Sundance and uh, talked some things, and he gave me a, a you know a DVD of some of the the early cuts, and I said, "Oh, this is this is pretty interesting," and you know, and sort of glommed on and and uh, you know helped helped out uh, both both financially invested in the film, and uh, and you know met David and and you know helped helped put it together for the and we we eventually kind of put it together for Tribeca. Uh, David and and Brandon, uh, his editor. Um, you know, did a, a fantastic cut to get it into Tribeca and then, you know, refined it a little bit more. And it just really came together brilliantly uh, in the end. Yeah, we had a wonderful executive producer who was similar to you. Um, he had, but he had ties to Charlie previously. And um, I think it's a wonderful process to be a part of and to see how a film comes together. There are so many things that you don't think about when you're making a film. And um, I think to see that is really, uh, and it, it must have been very interesting for you, yeah, Chris. It was, a, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful process. And and you know, one of my early uh, experiences in, in in film, I I come out of the technology industry, and you know, I, it, it, it's in some ways it's sort of it's made everything else you know kind of second rate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but it's it's it was it was great to take part in. And Kevin and I still work together on things. So. Well, I think there's like nothing like getting that first cut when you haven't seen anything you've just heard been a part of the production process but when you see it in that first iteration there's almost something breathtaking about seeing all that hard work kind of come to fruition that way it's really nice yeah. all right well let's end with this uh rebecca so you never met charlie and let's just say we had a special time machine and we could get you in front of him and there you are you jump out of the time machine he's alone in his apartment he's bored one night and you say charlie i'm a filmmaker and I'm going to be making a movie about you, and it's going to come out in 2022. And let's just say the year that you approach, Charlie, is around 2000 or 2005. What one or two questions would you want to ask Charlie? Well, the first question I would ask him is, what would you like to see in your own movie? How would you like to be represented? I know those were two questions, but I think that's a really interesting thing because I really struggled with that in the film because of these two camps, the love and the hate for Charlie. I really wanted to take a very careful approach to showing him in his entirety, warts and all, and um, in an unapologetic way while still inspiring people for what he created. Um, so that's one question I would ask. And then the other question, touching on our identity conversation earlier, Charlie has an interesting quote that was his one of his favorite quotes, which was, after love, there's only cuisine. Mm. And he used to sign his, his, po his post or his menus with that. And looking back on his life now, there's something so sad about that as it relates to his career, all the things he lost or was unable to bring to fruition in his own personal life because of that. And I would just want to get his take on how he feels about that quote now, looking back. Oh, that's great. Wow. Well, her name is Rebecca Halpern. Her film is uh, Love Charlie. Charlie, The Rise and Fall of Charlie Trotter. It's going to be at the Sonoma Film Festival Saturday, October, August 6th at 6 p.m. You can get tickets and passes at sonomafilmfest.org. 
Rebecca, thank you so thank much. You so for, much. Yeah. You guys, wonderful. this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Of course. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.